You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. So good to see everybody. We're so glad you're with us. And we're just very thankful to be together here at Bayshore. So we're just uh, making progress. You know, a year ago when we were in COVID, we didn't even have Easter service in person. And now our campuses are all meeting. And so we're all making progress. So I'm very excited about that. So we're glad you're here. I want to say hello to our Fenwick Island campus that are joining us right now. We just love our Fenwick Island campus. We have an incredible group there. And uh, they're doing such a great job. And they're reaching that community. New people are coming into that church all the time. And also our Rehoboth campus is just doing so great. They had record attendance last week. And we're just all just so grateful for what the Lord's doing. And also want to uh, welcome WGMD uh, Radio that's listening. And we're so grateful for them as well. And our online family. Let's give our online family a big hand. Thank you guys for listening to us. The best way to experience Bayshore is be here, but if you are online, we just are so grateful that you are with us today. So we're starting a new series. This is a great day to be here because we're starting a new series called Finish Line, and uh, this series is going to go four or five, six weeks, something like that. We're not quite sure yet, but uh, it's going to be a really helpful series to all of us as we talk about the importance of finishing of finishing, crossing the finish line. And I want to read a text. This is not our main uh, theme, but our main text, but uh, I want to just read it. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, he said, this is the last thing Paul wrote uh, as he was in, uh, in Roman prison. He said, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, and I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. So we're going to be talking about uh, crossing the finish line, completing your mission and getting through what God wants us to get through. And what we're going to be using this, uh, in this series is the uh, little bit of history. And uh, those of you that know me know that I like history. And so we like to teach a little bit so you learn some things about the Bible. So when you're reading the Bible, it makes sense to you. And one of the uh, big things that happened in the Old Testament was the, the captivity of the city of Jerusalem. That happened, there was three different invasions from the Babylonians between 586 and 605. And the, the people that lived in uh, Jerusalem were taken into captivity uh, 900 miles away into Babylon. And they stayed there for 70 years. And they were there for that long extended time. And then Jeremiah the prophet, now it's so interesting how all, this, all these things work together. Jeremiah the prophet had warned them as the captivity was approaching that they would go to Babylon. To, it's not going to be a quick deal. You're going to be there for a while. And uh, he said, it's going to last for 70 years. And when 70 years was up, then something would happen and they would be allowed to return back. Now, what happened? I want to put a little graph here on the board to kind of give you a little understanding of what's going on. This, is, this graph is a, a crown, uh, a, a bullhorn. This gives you a little, this is a very simplified version of history. So uh, after 70 years, uh, they were allowed to go back. And how did that happen? There's this king 
by the name of Cyrus, King Cyrus, Cyrus the Great, if you remember from your world history in college, King Cyrus uh, in 539 conquered the Babylonians. He was a Persian, and he said, you all can go back. You can go back to Jerusalem. And we, find, we found historically that uh, there's interesting things that corroborate the Bible. We found a cylinder uh, back in 1876. Somebody discovered a cylinder called the Cyrus Cylinder, which was a uh, secular piece of uh, artifact. This is a Cyrus Cylinder, and it has on this, this is written in uh, cuneiform, uh, a strange language in those days, and it said that when Cyrus became king, that he let all the nations that he had had in captivity, that he had taken from the Babylonians, go back to their homeland. So we know that this historically happened, and it's in the Bible, and we'll read that in just a minute. So we'll put the graph back up here. So this guy, this Cyrus, he was a key guy. Everybody say 539. 539, he said, the captivity was over, you guys can go back. You can go back to your homeland. So they go back to the homeland, and they're going to rebuild the temple. In fact, uh, Cyrus is going to let them go back, and he's going to finance them rebuilding the temple. And this is under a guy, this is a construction, a guy named by the name of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel leads the, the expedition out of, out of uh, Persia, what was Babylon, and he leads the construction prog- prog- project. So he's the construction manager. So the people, they go back and they begin to build the temple and they go at it for about a year and then they get tired. And when they get tired, they kind of like, you know, retire. These are the returned exiles. They'd lost their momentum. They weren't interested in doing it anymore. And so God raised up these prophets. These are two prophets in the Old Testament, the end of the Old Testament, and these are what called minor prophets. Now, there's a bunch of minor prophets, but the minor prophets are minor prophets not because they were short in stature. They weren't little guys. It's because they had short books. And uh, Zerubbabel, or, uh, Zerubbabel was trying to get the people to build. The people got tired, didn't want to build anymore. So Zechariah and Haggai, these two prophets, began to try to encourage. This is a bullhorn. They began to encourage the people to get back with it and to rebuild the temple. And so that's the whole sequence of the end of the Old Testament right there in those pictures. So let me read to you uh, a little bit of Ezra, Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and let's look at this story. Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. Remember I said Jeremiah would prophesy, did prophesy and said you're going to be in captivity for a while. It said the Lord moved on the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now Cyrus is not a Christian He's not a godly man. He's a secular ruler. But the book of Proverbs says, Proverbs 21, verse 1 says, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he directs it like a water course. So God directs the heart of this secular king, and uh, he says, it says, the Lord moved on the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. Listen to this. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kings of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him in Jerusalem in Judea. And his people among you may, any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem and Judea and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide for them silver and gold with goods and livestock, with freewill offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. So here is a great opportunity, a great opportunity. The people that are in 
uh, captivity, have been in captivity for 70 years under the Babylonians, now under the Persians. Now this king comes up. God has moved his heart. God has directed him to let the people go back to rebuild the temple. And not only that, but he's going to pay for it. He's going to pay for the construction of the temple, the temple of Jerusalem that is where Yahweh met with his people. The temple in the Old Testament was where heaven and earth met, where God communicated with man. And God was using a secular king to come and establish the temple. And they were given this great opportunity, great opportunity. Let me just say this to you as we think about our lives. Every day is a great opportunity. How many know that we're living in a day of opportunity? This is a day of incredible opportunity. Every day that you and I wake up is a great opportunity. It's an opportunity for us to serve the Lord. It's an opportunity for us to help people. It's an opportunity for us to grow in our faith. It's a day of great opportunity. So when you think about Cyrus gave the decree, this is a big opportunity. Every day is a blank camp. uh, canvas. Every day is a blank canvas. And God gives you a brush and he gives me a brush and he gives us paint so we can fill that canvas with wonderful and beautiful things. So think about that. Think about your life this week. Your life this week is an opportunity, an opportunity to help people. This week, I think about my life. What happened this last week? My uh, last week, what happened to me is I had the opportunity to help some people. There's a wonderful lady in our church that's from this campus. Her name is Lisa, and Karen and I have known Lisa and her husband Jeff for many years. Wonderful, wonderful people. Her dad had been a missionary uh, in different parts of the world for his whole career. And her dad is uh, on his deathbed, and so Lisa went to Minnesota. So this week, one of the highlights of my week was to be on the phone as Lisa wept and she talked about her dad and how much she loved her dad and how proud she was of her dad and how her dad had inspired her. And Lisa and I just talked and I prayed with her and I told her that we together are praying for her. You know, that's a great opportunity to help people. How many know the best thing you can do in any day is to help somebody? Can you say a big amen? Yesterday I got to... uh, Watch my grandson Nixon, uh, his first day at soccer, the River Soccer Club. Good night. That's a big operation. I had no idea. There's like a village out there. And, uh, and so I got to watch him. And here's a picture of Nixon. Uh, and uh, he's all got his old soccer stuff on. And here's a picture of Nixon playing soccer. And he's going to be incredible. I can just tell already he's going to be playing world-famous soccer. And, and uh, he's gonna, I'm going to be his agent. It's all going to be great. But my job yesterday was to... Uh, you know, I'm there with Nixon, and I'm rooting for him. And I know all the kids are supposed to win, and I'm, I'm, but I'm rooting for Nixon. Take that girl out, Nixon. Take her out. And, uh, you know, I know everybody's supposed to win, you know, but I'm, like, really rooting for Nixon. But my job yesterday is I had the water bottle. And every time, uh, you know, he got thirsty, he ran over to me, and I gave him the water bottle, and he drank. And uh, it was just such a privilege to give him a water bottle to help him drink. Every day in life, you and I have a water bottle. And that water bottle is to help people that are thirsty, people that are struggling, people that are having a difficult time. And we are designed by God to help other people. Uh, John Wesley said, uh, do all the good you can and all the ways you can and all the places you can as long as you ever, ever can. Helping people and serving people. I remember when I was a young pastor, one day I went 
to the Nenecoke Memorial Hospital. It's a different name now in Seaford, but I went over there to the hospital to visit somebody, and it was a lady that came to our church, and I was on my pastoral visit mission, and, uh, and I just loved doing that. And so I was going down the hallway, and I went to her, her room, and she was there, and she was so happy to see me. And I went, and I, I read the 23rd Psalm to her, and I had my little tie on, and I did a little prayer for her, and she's happy, and I'm feeling good like I'm a good pastor, and I'm leaving. I'm walking down the hall. And as I'm walking down the hall, uh, I go by this room. And as I go by this room, it's like I felt this compelling force to stop and go in that room. And I'm not very much of a mystic. I'm a pretty practical guy. And what I'm thinking is, I got a lot to do. I got to get back to the office. I got to drive back to Gumboro. And I got to get in the office. So I just kept going. And I just kept walking. But the Holy Spirit was just all over me, convicting me to go back to that room. And I'm like dragging the Lord down the hall, you know? And I'm like, this is awful. I mean, I just might as well go around and be miserable the rest of the day. So I turn back and I walk into that room. There's one man in the room. And I went over and I met him and his name was Buddy and I told him who I was. And Buddy was so discouraged, so discouraged. He was so downhearted. And I said, Buddy, what is wrong? And then he pulled back the sheet and he showed me that that morning his leg had been amputated from his diabetic condition. And I'll never forget the conversation that he and I had. We had this conversation, and, and we prayed, and we talked, and I stayed with him for about an hour, and then I got his address, and then I went back to, to see him. And I can just tell you what happened to me is I helped him and encouraged Buddy, and we prayed through that. And as he wept, I can tell you that when I helped him, I mean, I was helping myself because you cannot help another person without helping yourself. Can you say a big amen? The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, he who refreshes others refreshes themselves. If you want to get out of your funk, if you want to get out of your depression, if you want to get out of the, the, the valley, the dark valley you are in, roll up your sleeves. Don't let COVID push you into the dark cave of doing nothing, but get out of your cave. Roll up your sleeves and begin to help and serve other people because you've been given a water bottle to help people that are thirsty, that need help in life. So, Every day is a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity. It's an opportunity to help other people. It's an opportunity to grow in our faith, to grow in our faith. It's an opportunity to grow in our faith. Are you growing in your faith? Are you continuing to learn? Are you growing in the Word of God? Are you reading the Scriptures? Are you growing in your faith? And I, I had a wonderful uh, Bible study on Tuesday night. We're still meeting in Zoom, many of our small groups, or all of our small groups right now. We're convinced, we believe, we're hopeful by the fall, our next semester, we'll be meeting in person again in our small groups. But I had a group of guys Tuesday night that were on my Zoom meeting. Uh, I have a men's group that I lead, and we're studying this great book by Henry Cloud. And these guys showed up, and I, you know, I had to look. Suzanne helps me get situated. I can't get Zoom right. I'm like uh, the most challenged person when it comes to Zoom. Zoom is like over my head. So anyhow, she's helping me, and I get those guys are there. And for about 45 minutes to an hour, these guys just, they, they read the Word. They shared what God is teaching them, and they are occupying their life by serving and growing, and, and every day is an opportunity to grow. What, what goes wrong with believers sometimes as they get saved, they find Jesus, they become born again, they know Jesus, and they just sit and they cease to grow. But every day is an opportunity to grow. 
Karen and I, many, many evenings, we watch, uh, you know, Netflix, and we have a few shows that we watch, and, but every, every night after dinner, if we're at home, if we have the night free, we retire to the, uh, we'd usually take a bike ride if it's nice, and then we come to our, our living room, and we sit down, and she opens a book she's reading or something in the Word. I open a book that I'm reading, uh, and I just kind of read, or I turn on a, like a video, a, a podcast, and I want to grow, because growing in your faith every day is an opportunity to grow. Every day is. And so make sure that you, you avail yourself to that. So think about, think about Cyrus, opportunity, great opportunity, go back to the land, and you can go back to the land. This is a great, great opportunity. What are our opportunities? To help people and to grow in our faith. Say it with me. Our opportunities are to help people and to grow in our faith. So by the way, the vision of Bayshore is transformation. It's not just to get a bunch of people sitting in buildings, which we want people to come to church, but our goal is for you to come to church, to get in small groups, to serve people so that you will become more and more like Jesus. The goal is not to have so many head count. The goal is, is to have people engaged in discipleship coming to church so they can grow in their faith. So that is uh, the great opportunity. So let's think about this. Cyrus said, we know it biblically, we know it historically, we know it's, it, it, it tangibly, it happened. He said, you can go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Think about this. How many people went back to Jerusalem when Cyrus gave them the opportunity to go back to Jerusalem? 900 miles away, they had to go a ways. How many people went back? Here's the, here's the answer to that. 42,000 people. 42,000 people went back. You say, Pastor Danny, how do you know that? I'm glad you asked that because I have a scripture for you. Here it is. It says in Ezra chapter 2, verses 64 through 67. Here's what it says. Ezra chapter 2, 64 through 67. The whole company, this is the number of people went back from, from Persia when Cyrus gave them the command. The whole company numbered 42,360 and 65 besides there were 7,000 male and female slaves and male uh, and singers and donkeys and mules and the whole thing. So 42,000. Hey, how, how many know that's a good number? 42,000, that is a good number. 42,000 people went back when Cyrus says you can go back. Uh, that's so encouraging to me. But the other side of that is how many people were living in Babylon when that decree was given, Jewish people? How many Jewish people that had gone into captivity and when they were in captivity for, six, for 70 years had multiplied, procreated? How many Jewish people were in Babylon or Persia at that point, how many people were in that land? Here's the answer to that. Scholars believe that there were one million people, one million Jewish people that were in uh, Persia or what was the Babylonian Empire that had been taken captive. One million people. One million people and 42,000 people went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. 42,000 went back. So what is that? Here's the answer to that. What is that? 4.2% of the people that were given the great opportunity to go back to rebuild the temple to make history, only 4.2% went back. Less than 5% of the people went back. Most of the people stayed in Babylon, and most of the people did not come back to rebuild the temple. 
So when I read that and I researched that and I realized that that the majority of people, 95% of the people, when they heard the decree, did not respond, did not go, did not avail themselves to that great opportunity, but they stayed in Babylon. It made me really wonder about our our own age and our own generation. We've been given this great opportunity to grow in our faith. There are great churches all across America right now. There are great churches in every community. God is doing something great. There is an incredible opportunity. The Word of God is being preached and taught in our, in our country, and the Lord is doing incredible things in our country. But yet there are many, many people that do not lean in and avail themselves to what has been given them. 4.2%. Everybody say 4.2%. That is astonishing. That is astonishing. So what I want to know is as we think about, you know, why didn't they come back from Babylon? Why did they stay in Babylon? Why were they comfortable in Babylon? The problem is they were comfortable in a place they were not supposed to be comfortable in. They were at ease in a place where they should not have been at ease at. We, we know from Jeremiah's prophecies that they were supposed to leave Babylon after 70 years. But even though they were supposed to leave after 70 years, most of them stayed. And I just wonder what happened to them is while they were in Babylon, maybe they got really comfortable in Babylon. They got really comfortable. And I think that one of the things that's happened during COVID is I think some people have gotten extremely comfortable in not coming to church, extremely comfortable. Some of that obviously is very, very practical and important, you know, with, with the COVID concerns and all that. We absolutely understand that. But there's another side to this. And the other side is it's possible for us to get comfortable in a place that we are not supposed to be comfortable in. We are able sometimes to get comfortable in Babylon when God has a call on us to uh, re-engage and to build the temple and to serve the Lord and to give our full energy to glorifying the Lord and honoring the Lord. And so, so many people just simply stayed in Babylon. And I thought about myself, and whenever I read a text like that, and I say, Lord, am I giving myself fully to your work? Am I giving myself fully to you? Or have I sort of gotten indoctrinated and comfortable in Babylon, and am I not really seeking you the way I need to seek you? Because I think it's possible for this historical thing to repeat itself in history, that we get comfortable in a place that we're not supposed to be comfortable in. You know, I thought about I thought about this. I thought about how we've got everything. How many are glad we've got so many blessings in America? Can you say a big amen? How many grateful you got indoor plumbing? Are you grateful for that? You know, I remember my grandmother didn't even have that. Good night. You know, that tells you how old I am. But you know what? We have so many things. And we have all these blessings. We have all these things. The book of Deuteronomy says to the Israelites, when you get to the land, be careful that when things start going really well and you got everything and everything's being taken care of for you, when everything is just wonderful for you, be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God. So we've got everything we need. We've got, we've got the government sending us checks. We got, we got, we got uh, our campers. We got our, we got our, 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 our boats. We got our, all the stuff we got. We got all the beach houses. We got everything. We're being blessed and prosperous. And this is just an incredible thing to be blessed and prospered. But, you know, sometimes we can amuse ourselves. We've got Netflix. We've got Hulu. We've got uh, Amazon Prime. We've, Karen and I have got all that. It's so easy to get amused and sort of like preoccupied with life, Jesus said in 
Matthew 24, that when he came, when the end would come, it would be like it was in the days of Noah, that people would be marrying and giving in marriage, and they would just be in parties, they'd just be having a good time, that life would, they would just be enveloped in life and not really seeing, you know, the opportunities that were in front of them to serve the Lord with all of their heart and all their passion. And so what I was thinking about this week, I was thinking about, you know, you know whenever I'm blessed with something, like, like uh, this is a little silly illustration, but I got a wonderful Trek bicycle that I rode yesterday. I mean, this is the, the Trek bicycle of Trek bicycles. I mean, I love this bicycle. When I bought it, I paid a bunch of money for it. And the guy said to me, do you want a kickstand? Uh, I said, yeah, I want a kickstand. Well, that'd be $20. I thought, man, you ought to throw the kickstand in. That's what I'm thinking. But anyhow, I got this wonderful bike and I ride my bike. And here's what the Lord's teaching me about his blessing. If he gives me something, I want to consecrate that to him. If I get a boat, I want to consecrate that to him so I can serve other people. And so while I'm on that boat, I can think about him. I can glorify him. My good friend Jim Darnell has this wonderful boat that he fishes in the bays of, uh, of uh, Texas and different places where he fishes. And that boat is his sort of sanctuary where he spends time with the Lord. So whatever the Lord's blessed you with, make sure that you, you don't let that thing hijack your faith May it not become your Babylon where you're comfortable as they were in Babylon with the Babylonian gardens and the houses and all the stuff they had, that they had no interest, no interest in going back to Jerusalem to build the temple. They had no interest because they had already had their hearts occupied and they were amused with life. Say this with me, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So when I think about this, here's a couple thoughts I had about it. It's just thinking about our age and what we're going through and the season that we're in to make sure that we as believers don't become comfortable in Babylon. And, you know, hey, we're just enjoying life and... You know, God's just like an app on our phone. It's something we add on. But the Bible says that the Lord is not an app on our phone. The Lord is our life, that he's everything. And those 42,000 Jews that went back to Jerusalem, they went back to Jerusalem, and they had one passion, one desire, one dream, where they were going to invest their life in building the temple. They were going to build up the glory of God. They were going to end their generation. They were going to make history. They were going to do something incredible, and they weren't going to be occupied or preoccupied in Babylon, but they were going to leave and give themselves fully to the work of the Lord that the Lord had given them. So that's an important principle for us to think about. Here's another little thing before I go to the the last point here today. The other thing I was thinking about when I was thinking about this in Babylon and Persia, the king, and everything was taken care of for them in Babylon. Everything everything was there. I was thinking about this important principle to make make sure that the Lord is our primary focus, and he's the one that's going to take care of us. You know what's easy? Now, this is uh, something that maybe, uh, you know, something that maybe we're a little uncomfortable even articulating. But you know what? It's easy for us to begin to look at the government, the government system that we're living in as our God to take care of us. Listen to this. The more socialist a country becomes, the more secular it becomes. 
The more socialist a country becomes, the more secular it becomes. That means when we have a country that takes care of all of our needs, the government is the big G. It becomes the God. The government sends us checks. The government is in charge of our healing. And I'm so grateful. How many here have gotten your shot already? You got one of your shots, at least raise your hand. I'm all about that. I'm on the punt for my shot to get my shot. But you know what the, the governor of New York said, Como said, he said, science is not the, or he said, prayer is not the answer to COVID. Prayer is not the answer to our country. He said, science is the answer to our country. And when I get my shot, you know what I'm going to be doing? I'm going to be sitting in that, I'm going to be sitting in that little chair and however they do it, the big light they put over you. And the first thing I'm going to say is, is this going to hurt? That's what I'm going to say. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's going to hurt or not. But you know what I'm going to thank the Lord for? I'm going to say, Lord, I thank you that you created chemistry. I thank you, Lord, that you are the one who authorized microbiology. I thank you, Lord, that you are the one that is behind all the cures that we're given in our country. I, I thank you, Lord, that you are my source and you're my supplier and you're taking care of me. If you're grateful that the Lord is behind your healing and not some system, then I want you to just say a big thank you to the Lord. Amen right now. Would you just give the Lord a thank offering right now? You know, when Como said, hey, science is the answer, uh, here's what I want to say. Boy, I'm all about it. I love science, and I think it's very important. I, you know, the greatest scientists in history were all believers. Here's what Isaac Newton said. Isaac Newton, if you took physics in college, you studied a lot of Isaac Newton. Here's what Isaac Newton said. I believe the more I study science, the more I believe in God. I believe the more I study science, the more I believe in God. Here's something else that Isaac Newton said, another quote here by him. He who thinks half-heartedly will not believe in God but he who really thinks has to believe in God. See, I believe that we have to be careful as we're in Babylon under the umbrella of this time of our history that we don't begin to make Babylon our passion and Babylon our God and Babylon the one that takes care of us because I believe that we have a heavenly Father who takes care of us and loves us. I don't know about you, but the Lord has been incredibly good to Karen and I and good to our church during COVID. And if the Lord's been good to you and taking care of you during this crazy, crazy time in history, would you say a big rousing amen right now? So here's what I want you to know as we you know, come toward the end here. Here's what the big takeaway is. One million people, one million people stayed in Babylon, and a few, a few gave themselves fully to seek the Lord and to leave their comforts and to put their heart on a mission to go and rebuild the temple, and they went and they rebuilt the temple, and they began to be, be build the temple. And so what happened is, as we uh, kind of wrap up this, what happened when they went back to rebuild the temple, uh, they started, and they got really uh, excited in the beginning, and they got really passionate, and this is what I want to talk about our faith. It's easy to get really passionate in the beginning, really excited in the beginning, and, and, and the whole 
principle of the New Testament is discipleship and growing, and not simply starting with passion, starting with excitement, but being uh, perseverant that you are continued to be discipled and you're continued to grow in your faith. And as you grow in your faith, you're growing uh, toward the mission that God has for you. So they get to uh, Jerusalem and they begin to build uh, the temple. They begin to start that. And as I mentioned in the beginning of the message, they got, they got discouraged, got hard. And Haggai said, the book of Haggai in chapter 1 says that they got involved with building their own houses, building, and the Lord said to them through the prophet Haggai, is it a time to be living in paneled houses, is what he said, and when the house of God lies in ruin. So Haggai the prophet said, now you've gotten distracted. You got back to the land, and as you've gotten back to the land, uh, you've gotten, you got started, but then you aren't finishing. You're not crossing the finish line. You're not getting done. And so he challenged them. And then Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 1. We've got a couple of verses there we'll read and then before we wrap it up. Zechariah. Uh, here's what uh, it says in Zechariah chapter 1 verse 2. The Lord was very angry with your ancestors. And then verse 3 says this. Therefore tell the people this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me declares the Lord Almighty. Now what's important here is is these are people that have returned to the land. They have returned to the land, and then Zach, and they got fizzled out with the building of the temple. And then the prophet says, this is what the Lord Almighty says, return to me, declares the Lord. So they had returned to the land, but the, the a challenge that they were being given by the prophet Zechariah was that they would return to the Lord. They would return to the Lord. So what I'm, what I'm suggesting in this text for us is as we return to church, as we return to come to Bayshore from going through everything we've been through, as we return, the Lord is saying for us to return to Him fully, to return to Him fully. You know, it's possible to return and your heart sort of not still being, uh, you know, passionate the way it needs to be. And, uh, you know, the Bible says, never be lacking in spiritual zeal. Let your zeal be returned. Uh, therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says, return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Return to the Lord with all your heart. Seek Him with all your heart, and He will return to us. His grace and His power and His uh, visitation will return to His people. And in verse 4, it says this. Verse 4 says, Do not be like your, verse four, do not be like your ancestors to whom the early prophets proclaim. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. But they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. And verse 5 says this. Where are your ancestors now and the prophets? Do they live forever? Verse 6 says, But did not my words and my decrees, which I command my servants, the prophets, overtake your ancestors? Then they responded. Then they repented and said, The Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as he determined to do. So they repented. They came back to the land. They got discouraged in building. And then the prophet comes and said, listen, return to the Lord with all your heart. And let, let, me just, uh, let me just ask you right now, and I want you to just respond by saying, you know, with us corporate in worship, I want you to just say this, uh, Lord, I'm returning to you with all my heart, with all my passion. Would you lift your hands to the Lord again and say, with, Lord, I am returning to you with all my heart and all my passion. Do you know who you are? 
You are the 42,000. You are the 42,000 that are returning to serve the Lord and walk with the Lord. Uh, we have a wonderful lady in our uh, Femic Island campus, Brigida Canfield. Brigida Canfield, is uh, she's one of our worship leaders there with her husband, Joel, and just wonderful family. We love those guys so much. Um, back a couple years ago, she ran the New York, New York Marathon, and she had, here's a picture of her when she got registered, and uh, she had always had a goal to run the New York Marathon. It was her big big life dream there to run the New York, New York Marathon. And she couldn't get in, in on the lottery, didn't make the lottery, so you could go in as a fundraiser. So she raised $5,000 for UNICEF. And so Brigida began to train. She was a young mother at that point. She had a little baby. And her best friend that she grew up with had a little baby. And so they decided, you know, when their husbands got home from work, they were going to train. And they started training for the marathon. And Brigida uh, said that she... Uh, you know, she was so excited about training. She always wanted to run the New York, New York Marathon. And she, she said, I began to train. And when I got to the 10-mile mark in my training, she said, my knees began to give out. I had trouble with my knees. And I, she said, I looked at all these remedies and different things I could do to, to get my knees uh, better. And she kept training and was able to finally, uh, finally run. And so here's a picture of her in the middle of the race where she's running. And uh, she's running. And she said, when we started, when we started, you know, with uh, 26,000 people, they start in different groups, 26,000 people. She said it was so exciting when we started. But as you got into the race, the longer you went, the harder it got because you were not surrounded with so many people. And here's what she said. Here's our quote about her experience. We started out on fire and breezed through the first 18 miles or so. If you run a marathon, you know that mile 20 is where you hit the wall. There were so many times between mile 20 and 26 that I felt my body was completely done. But you just continue to put one foot in front of the other and carry on. It's amazing what your body can do when you're properly trained. And here's a picture of Brigida crossing the finish line when she made that. There she is in the gray. She crossed the finish line, her and her buddy. And she crossed the finish line. She started, it was exciting in the beginning, and then she got into the grind where it was hard. And she kept running, kept running, kept running. Here is a, it's a season where the Lord's saying to all of us, it's a season where we're, we're running the race and we're seeking the Lord, where we're running with all of our heart. And we've got to be very, very careful that we don't become distracted by other things but that we give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Would you lift your hands right now as the band gets ready to lead us in some worship? The Holy Spirit's just moving in our church. He's moving in all of us right now. He's speaking to us. He's raising us up. He's calling us to be the passionate people of our generation. He's calling us to, to make history. He's calling us to make history, to change the world that we live in. He's calling us to be fully devoted coming and rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the kingdom of God. Lord, we ask you, Lord, to pour out your grace and pour out your power on us today. We thank you for your love and your mercy. We thank you for the Spirit of the Lord that's raising up people right now. We thank you for the energy of the Holy Spirit that's coming in people. We thank you for the passion of Bayshore, that the temperature is rising as you bring revival and great things in our community. We thank you for blessing us, Lord. In Jesus' name, 
Amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.